1: Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam School, joined
2: as always by my friend
1: and colleague Paul Tenorio. Paul, we have a roster.
2: This is it, baby. It's crunch time. Here we go. It's, it's the real. final
1: countdown. It's the final countdown. The US Men's National Team roster for the last three CONCACAF emphasis on CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers was released earlier on Thursday night. We are recording late on Thursday nights. 27 players called in. We'll run them through in a second. Obviously, no Weston McKennie. Gio Reyna is back. No John Brooks this time around. No Matt Turner this time around. Him and McKenny out due to injury. It looks like Sergino Dest, he's on this list of 27. Probably not going to be very much longer. He went out injured for Barcelona in their Europa League contest earlier on Thursday. So we might have another change there. Um, but Paul, uh, I think for the most part, pretty expected group with a few surprises towards the bottom of the roster.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you and I predicted correctly predicted 23 of the 27 names on the list. Um so I think that speaks to the fact yeah, that there's not a lot idiots. of idiots. Yeah, we're, I mean We're total idiots. It's just not you know, at this point in qualification if you don't have a pretty darn good idea of what the squad is, that's not a good sign. And despite the panic that exists, understandably so, at not having qualified for the World Cup yet because of what happened four years ago, the U.S. is in second place in CONCACAF. And so, you know, there is a fairly decent idea uh, of what this squad is supposed to be. And, and so, yeah, we not a ton of surprises, but I do think we got some good answers about the guys who we thought would be here or thought had a chance to be here but aren't here. And so maybe there's a little bit more clarity after today's press conference with Greg Berhalter than, you know, than there was before.
1: We'll break all of that down. Um, but first let's actually give the roster for those of you who have not seen it or heard about it already. Three goalkeepers, Ethan Horvath making his return to the team for the first time since September, Sean Johnson from New York city FC and Zach Stefan, as I mentioned, no Turner due to injury um, in defense. I believe we have five center backs and four fullbacks at fullback. Reggie Cannon, Serginio Dest, as mentioned probably for not much longer, Anthony Robinson, and DeAndre Yedlin. And then the center backs: Aaron Long making his return after a long absence from the national team due to a torn, torn Achilles he suffered last spring. Eric Palmer Brown getting his first call-up of qualifying. He's been playing well in France. Miles Robinson, a uh, familiar name, familiar face. I expected that he would be here. James Sands, not so expected that he would be here. That was a surprising one. Um, He has not played very much at all since he went on loan from NYCFC to Rangers in January, Um, but he gets a look. Um, Obviously, he can play center back in a three-man formation. He can play defense midfield, so he gives you some positional versatility. And then Walker Zimmerman, um, who along with Miles Robinson figures probably to start the first match at minimum. Um, So that's your defenders, your fullbacks, your center backs, Midfield, six of them, Kellen Acosta and Tyler Adams. um, Your options at the number six. Of course, Acosta can play as an eight. I presume he will at some point in this window. Um, And then Gianluca Busio, Luca De La Torre, Yunus Musa, and Christian Roldan. Wingers, Brendan Aronson, Paul Areola, Jordan Morris, Christian Pulisic, of course, and Gio Reyna and Tim (laughs) Weah. Excuse me. Um, I made it so far. I got through 24 of the 27 without a stumble. Almost no, there. Almost a pro. Almost. That's why we did you know, that's why we're not podcasters, we're writers. And then at Stryker, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Pach, and Ricardo Pepe. Um, so Paul, we mentioned already, not a ton of surprises here, but there are a few omissions that I want to talk about, and I want to start with John Brooks. Um, center back who at the start of this whole qualification process was considered the best center back on the team and one of the most indispensable players in the entire pool he was called up in September he had a bit of an iffy game against Canada in Nashville in that 1-1 draw he had a poor outing in Honduras he got yanked at halftime Uh, he was called up in October he pulled out of the squad due to injury He has not been called back since Greg Berhalter got asked quite a few questions about his exclusion on a press conference earlier tonight What did you make of the answers? What did you make of the decision to not call Brooks up to this squad?
2: Well, I think first of all, I would say that clearly you know, his answers weren't in-depth enough for the first few questions that he faced about it because I think he took three or four different questions about John Brooks. And by the end, he finally really broke things down. And he said, like, I feel bad actually going into this much detail about one individual player and their specific situation. Um, But I, I thought he got to... A decent place. I still feel like there is this something else that's hovering over this decision around John Brooks. Basically, what Greg Burhalter said in that final answer to a question from Ivis Galarcep, um, who asked him, frankly, look there, you have five center backs in this camp. You have Chris Richards, who's injured. You have Mark McKenzie, who wasn't called into this camp, but has been called into the last few camps. Is it fair to say that John Brooks is eighth on the death chart right now? And, and is, is out of the picture for the World Cup. And Greg Berhalter said, no, it's, it's, it's not fair to say that. You know, we're never, we never rule a guy out completely. And he said, look, we, there are some details in his game that I talked to him that we need to improve to fit him into our game model. And we don't have time on Tuesday to improve these things. The game's on Thursday. The game's on Sunday. There's not a runway here. So I think when this whole thing settles down and hopefully we're in the World Cup, and we have the June window, the September window. I think there will be another opportunity for him where we can really start addressing where we think his deficiencies are. And this is the important part, quote, to be the starting center back in our pool. And I think that last line, Sam, probably indicates where a lot of this falls on, which is that John Brooks doesn't see himself as a fourth center back in the in a roster. Greg Berhalter clearly doesn't see him as a fourth center back in this roster. And so... It's a little bit boomer bust for John Brooks, well, I right? I think Greg
1: Berhalter does see him as a third or fourth center back in this roster, right? He said he's not a starting center back in our pool right now, right? But I think but what— But he doesn't,
2: because if he did, he'd bring him as the fourth center back. So he doesn't see him as the fourth center
1: well, back. Well, maybe, or maybe John Brooks said, hey, if I'm not going to be the starting center back, if I'm going to be the fourth center back, then, like, don't bring me. Just tell me what I need to do to break into the top two. That's rampant speculation, <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> I have no idea if that's the case, but I, when I read that line, I was like, huh, he said to be a starting center back in our pool, not to be a center back on the roster. I thought that was interesting. It made me think, is there something more than meets the eye going on here? Um, because, I mean, no disrespect to James Sands, right? But like, I, I think we can say that John Brooks is a better center back than James Sands is. Like, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, and yeah, Burhalter mentioned that they had issues with his form in November and in January for those camps. Um, this time he said now he's back playing and now it becomes what our game plan is for this window, right? And, and, I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, things are matchup dependent and everything, but John Brooks couldn't help you in any of these three games in a way that James Sands can? where Eric Palmer Brown can, I, I'm s- extremely skeptical of that. Uh, John Brooks remains, in my opinion, I guess the the highest score, if you want to put that, that the best mix of, of talent and experience among center backs in this pool in terms of how long he's been playing, where he's at in his career, his age, um, the strikers that he's been facing week in, week out in the Bundesliga for the better part of a decade now. Um you add that in with his natural ability, and, and the U.S. doesn't really have another center back like that. You know, Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson have done a nice job. Aaron Long is a talented player. Not saying they're not good, um, but they don't have the experience that Brooks does. Like they just don't. Um, I think you want that experience in a World Cup. Like I really believe that. And can you integrate him into the pool in June in Nations League in that September window? Yeah, perhaps. Um, but it's going to be a different feeling in those games than it would be in these for sure. So I don't know. I'm, I mean, we, we don't necessarily have all of the information, but I think I, I mean, we, we both put him on our predicted roster. We thought he was going to be called and and I think I would have called him if I was the head coach. I,
2: I think with that choice, I felt like he should be called and you and I both felt pretty strongly that Mark McKenzie shouldn't be called and we didn't. Think that Palmer Brown would get introduced, and we didn't even consider James Sands honestly. And Sands, we didn't even think about. We didn't even think about. And so Brooks kind of was a, a, you know, we we defaulted to John Brooks, and and I felt like he should be integrated back into the group at some point. But yeah, I mean, if there is an issue with him playing as a four center back, or concern about him being the four center back. That that's something we can't know for sure. It hasn't been said by Greg Berhalter. It hasn't been said by John Brooks. So, like you said, it's just it's just speculation. Um, and, and I do think when you look at, I mentioned this to you, Sam, as well. I mean, John Brooks has not been great playing in Central America or on the road in Concacaf games. So you have no. you have two of those games in this window. You go to Mexico. You go to Costa Rica. Um,
1: but we both thought he could have done the job against Panama, a
2: team that's probably going to sit in a little a little deeper, and
1: maybe you can break lines against. Of yeah. course, he was asked to do that against Canada, and he didn't do a great job at it right. in Nashville. So
2: yeah, we should remember that, right? Like he was not good. He got benched at halftime against Honduras. He was not good against Canada, um, and he wasn't good for a while in the Bundesliga either. His club situation is up in the air. He'll be leaving Wolfsburg at the end of the season. Um, this is not somebody he's playing consistently, but it's not necessarily the John Brooks of two years ago who was like a top end starter for a Champions League bound Bundesliga team. You know, $20 million transfer, right? Like, well, at the time, they were talking about giving him an extension. Now they're letting his contract expire and they're letting him leave for free. That doesn't happen for somebody that. You know, is playing well, great soccer. Like it does
1: happen sometimes in the Bundesliga, yeah, but <laughs> that's usually involved with the pre contract, which Brooks does not
2: have. Yeah, so. so I mean I just think yeah, I I mean at the baseline, I do want to say I agree that John Brooks is clearly a better set better center back than James Sands. I can see I can create a scenario in my head of how Aaron Long is a better matchup in certain areas. You know his his ability to press and run in space. Brooks has gotten exposed at times when he's left one on one against you know pacey, pace-y players. But yeah, at the end of the day, he's he's played in a World Cup and and he's played in the Bundesliga regularly and he's been in these situations. And Sam, like we talk about this when you look at this team, it's so young. There's such little experience up and down the roster that when you can find these places in different position groups to add that experience, it's important to do so, so that you have that balance. And so you've seen, like we've seen it at the goalkeeper position, you know, is Sean Johnson the better you know, long term play for the US national team as a third goalkeeper? Or is there merit to bringing in 17 year old Gaga Slonina? Well, yeah, you can definitely justify bringing Gaga. But Sean Johnson's a chance to inject a veteran into a group that's otherwise super young. And I think the same way, you know, DeAndre Yedlin makes sense at right back and the same way that uh i don't know are there any other older players that have been around not really kellen acosta to a a smaller extent jordan morris paul areola so yeah you you see him having found these places for certain players that that are bringing more than just their on-field product they're bringing their experiences they're bringing those moments that they've been in before and and i think the same way you do that 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 there's value there and when you get to a world cup There are even fewer players in this U.S. pool that you can bring that have experienced that, and John Brooks is one of them. So it's something that I think is going to hover over this pool until we see John Brooks called in again, at least as long as they qualify for the World Cup.
1: If we see John Brooks called in again.
2: No, but I think you you have to see him again before the World Cup, or else it'll just hover over the squad. I think you see him in June or September. I don't think Greg Berhalter says that today without bringing him in in June or September. He has to recognize that.
1: Uh, And I should mention, I mentioned, I sort of hinted at this earlier, but if the U.S. goes to the Intercontinental Playoff in June, presumably they will not be going to Nations League, although maybe they will. I don't know how CONCACAF will do that, but I would guess certainly the priority will not be on Nations League. Um, Brooks himself gave a quote to Derek Ray, who calls Bundesliga matches for ESPN and ESPN+. And it was a pretty, you know, it was a kind of adamant, somewhat, Notable, remarkable quote, very strongly worded. Um, And it sort of harkened back to a quote that he gave to Doug McIntyre before or after the November window, perhaps, when he didn't get called in. And he said, Months ago, I accepted responsibility for my play and the decision that kept me off a roster. Now I'm happy I've regained my form, but unfortunately I wasn't invited to camp. I accept this as the coach's decision, but I won't accept that I can't change this before the final World Cup roster selections. There should be no questions about my desire to play for this team. My plan is to fight as hard as I can to make it back to the USMNT. My American identity is at stake, an identity some have questioned over many years. Brooks, of course, is a German-American, raised primarily in Germany and spent pretty much all of his life there. We, Americans, have all been down and out at different times, but we always fight back, and I plan to do the same. Um, I mean, that's exactly what you want to hear if you're a fan, if you're Greg Berhalter, if you're one of the other players on the team. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if he's given the opportunity at some point down the road prior to the World Cup. There are only two international windows between now and Qatar, which is wild. So there aren't a ton of chances.
2: I do want to point out, and and somebody, I think part of Ivis's question was, you know, is he out of the picture? And Berhalter said, we don't, operate that way essentially and i think that's true and he said that
1: before in context of brooks and other players and others
2: and it's been true to this point right i mean walker zimmerman was an injury replacement for john brooks and is now the number one center back in the pool um you know jordan peafock hasn't been called in since september started scoring goals consistently and he's back um and and so I don't doubt that answer. Like if John Brooks comes in and nation, if the U S qualifies, let's start there. And John Brooks gets called in in June for the nation's league and plays amazing in two games in the nation's league. Then I think he'll be back again in September. And if he plays, you know, like I, I don't think that this is a, like, I don't, I think we have to remember that the baseline here is like Greg Berhalter wants to win. He's not. He's not building a squad based just on. I mean, every coach has favorites, you know. But there are some pretty clear favorites in this team, like the, they they kind of supersede favoritism, right? You just have these guys that have to be in the team, right? Weston McKinney has to be. in. Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, you know. I think Zach Steffen is like a good example of like a favorite who also would be expected to be in every squad, but like, I, I just feel like. There's this notion that like, oh, like I'm going to pick MLS guys because I coached in MLS for four years. Like if John Brooks is good and gets like if he gets called in and he shows well, he'll be back. And and yeah, I mean,
1: he yes, was not good
2: last time he was. In. I mean, and this is n- this neither is, was James Sands. Like but you like, can point to this around. You can point to the You can point to was, this around the roster two games seven months ago.
1: That yeah. doesn't really mean a ton. I'm just
2: saying that if if and when he gets called back in, if he plays well, he will continue to play. Luca Della Torre got called in, played well, didn't come back the next window, played well at his club, got called back in, got a start, played well, and he's back again and probably going to start one of these games in these crucial qualifiers. Like, it's not always—I'm just saying, like, I don't think John Brooks— is just eliminated from contention for Qatar. I, I, don't don't. Think,
1: I, I don't think he is either, and I don't think any reasonable person is really saying that. You know?
2: Reasonable person, Paul. Well, I'm not some, speaking to the reasonable people right now. Some,
1: peop- some people are saying
2: that. I Clearly, I'm not speaking to the reasonable people right now.
1: So, anyway, I mean, I don't know, but I think it's fair to wonder, too, like, what exactly is going on here. And, and maybe it is the starting thing, and, and maybe there's something more there. But I mean, I, I think he's a better center back than one or two or maybe more that, that were called in and he's not on the team. and I think that's interesting. Anyway, moving on. A couple of other guys that isn't aren't, wow, it's late. I'm speaking good tonight, um, that aren't on the team. Josh Sargent uh, did not get called in. Um, he has not been called in either since the first window. Uh, obviously having a difficult, difficult season at Norwich City in the Premier League. He's playing a lot of games. He's not recording basically any numbers. He has two goals on the year. Both of those came in one match. Um, He has one assist on the season. That was recently against Liverpool at a game that Greg Berhalter was actually in attendance for, oddly enough. Um, So he was not called up. Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, and Jordan Pifak are the strikers. Um, Berhalter had some interesting quotes, I thought, on Sargent. After the roster announcement in his press conference, so let's let's break those down for a second and, and talk about his omission. I don't think it's so glaring because it's like, look at what he's done this year. You can't really be that mad. <laughs> um, but but what do you think about what Greg said and him being sergeant being off?
2: Yeah, I thought it was another. I thought it was a more enlightening quote than the Brooks one, even because I think it it expressed hope. That I think all USMNT fans feel right now. And people who, again, you know, want the US national team to win and go to a World Cup. And basically what he said is, and I'll I'll just read the quote. With Josh, it's a real tricky one. And he actually said, and I hope maybe you guys can help me figure this out, which, you know. And then he said, he's playing right wing for his team. Not getting a ton of chances. Not active offensively that much. But he works his ass off and he's an ultimate team player. So it's a tough decision. For us, it's almost like trying to project his performance if he plays striker for us. Josh is the guy that I think is going to break through and is going to be a national team number nine in the future. And we just have to be patient and wait. And I think that last part is important. I think that they would love for him to be starting and playing consistently as the number nine in the Premier League. And that they believe and see some of the same things that we see and believe that especially when you remember Josh Sargent first getting called up to the national team under Dave Serekin and he was dropping in and combining and, you know, playing the runners off of his movement and turning and and running at goal and looking dangerous. And then he went through this phase where he couldn't hit a shot. Well, I mean, he, he couldn't make a good connection with the ball. I think Sam, you were like documenting it for a while there and, but you know what he could be, and that's like kind of the hope is like, can he? I'm not sure. I do know what he could be, but personally, like, but... I think that's what Greg Berhalter is expressing. Like, please, be a number. Somebody be a number nine for us. You know, like that's kind of what this quote is like. Please, God, give us a number nine. You know, like he's. Ru- I'm rooting for you, Josh Sargent. You know, <laughs> someone, anyone, G-H-C's the hardest, Josie Altidore, Bobby Wood, it's just <laughs> somebody, Ravine. start Eddie Ryan Johnson. White.
1: Miguel Come Barry, <laughs> <laughs> anybody Come on down, we'll talk more about the number nine later. Um, but yeah, I think it's hard to, I think it's hard to quibble with not calling Sergeant Burhalter. did reference like, Hey, when he was talking about Ricardo Pepe, it's like, yeah, you can make an argument like Pepe's not scoring goals. Why do you call him over Sergeant? Who's also not scoring goals. Like that was like basically verbatim what he said. And he's like, you know, that you could have a discussion about that. Right. Um, but yeah, at this point I can't really be too upset about not calling Sergeant. If you want to knock Brooks for not playing well in the September window, Paul, um, then you have to knock Sergeant for not playing well in the September window too. Might, maybe bad. it's
2: Greg Burhalter's fault that Josh Sargent's playing right wing at Norwich City because he played him at right wing in Honduras and yeah. like John Brooks, it was not pretty. And like John Brooks, also got pulled
1: at halftime, right?
2: He got subbed out. Yeah. And, so. and that was the last we saw of him and you know at least at least i think like we 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 put Sargent on this roster because of the stuff that greg berhalter talked about the the working hard and pushing and pressing we thought would be useful in certain games potentially late in the game against mexico or something like I that mean, i you're... thought
1: he would come back because like of what we were just talking about
2: like berhalter searching for someone and he's like well i
1: haven't tried josh in a while he scored two goals like <laughs> not so long ago let's <laughs> give him a shot you
2: know yeah for sure Bel- it's like that what was that is that Chappelle? believe me he's like please anybody <laughs> please
1: i don't even know i don't know what you're talking about
2: unbelievable i'm sorry um, either Sergin- way i think we're on this topic it's not good yeah. the number nine yeah. spot not good
1: hasn't been good for for quite some time not feeling um, excited
2: about it sam
1: speaking of not feeling excited Sergio Dest. The heart and soul of this team. <laughs> uh, number one in our hearts. And if he, I don't know, he feels like a guy who would wear double zero if that was allowed on a soccer player. Um, I don't think it is, but it should be for him. Anyway, uh, he went down with what appeared to be some sort of hamstring injury for Barcelona. Um, Greg Berhalter said it's not looking good for his involvement in the camp. They will find out more. Tomorrow, on Friday, so today, if you're listening to this after it came out, um, he mentioned a few guys who who could be coming in in his stead if indeed he has to pull out of camp. He said it would be a left back, um, which makes sense considering Anthony Robinson is the only like full-time left back on the roster, even when Dest is on it. Dest can provide cover over there, Kellen Costa can as well. Um, but if you're calling in another left back, George Bello, Sam Vines, maybe Joe Scally um who has experience over there as so, well. I think those would be the three names. I would probably say I don't know,
2: Bellow. Bello. Yeah, uh, I think it'll be Bellow. He's playing in he's got his first start, played against Dortmund, um, at left back. I, I would guess it's Bello.
1: So that's that's probably the move there. I would expect that Anthony Robinson gets the bulk of the minutes at the position. Um certainly, you know, he's a guy that they've leaned on throughout qualifying. So I think, I think they'll continue to do that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the big picture omissions, overall thoughts. We're going to dive in because there are a lot more questions to answer about this roster and about this team and about this window, which will, you know, as do or die as it gets um, here before the first game in Mexico next Thursday. And we're going to dive into those in the next segment. Stay with us.
3: FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul. He is Paul Tenorio, and we are talking about the U.S. men's national team ahead of their final window of World Cup qualifying. The Ocho is coming to an end. Oh, Um, the inaugural and maybe... Final? Who even knows? First and last, Ocho qualifying is going to change, of course. In twenty twenty six, the U.S. probably won't be involved. In twenty thirty, there will be forty eight teams. Who even knows what what it'll look like? So savor this while you have it, people. This is it. Um, Paul, rotation was a big topic today, and it's going to continue to be a big topic, really, for the next week and a half before the Panama game. Um, And here's why. The U.S. is in an interesting position. They're currently in second place in qualifying in the octagonal. Basically, if they beat Panama at home, they're in a really good spot to qualify. If they lose that game at home, then things all hell breaks loose. If they win at the Azteca, they could theoretically qualify that night, although it's relatively unlikely because it would require Panama to lose at home to Honduras. Honduras is in last, and they're already out of it. Panama's probably not going to lose that match, even if the U.S. wins, which itself is probably unlikely, considering the history and that venue and all the difficulties that come with it.
2: Never happened before.
1: Exactly. So, do you start your big guns and play them 90 minutes in the heat and the smog and the altitude of Mexico City, in a ex- notoriously physically taxing environment for a match that... like probably have a greater than 50% chance of losing anyway or do you rest some of your big guns keep them fresh for Panama the game that if you win your odds of going to the World Cup are are very high um and and you know it, it could be over if you beat Panama that night depending on what Costa Rica does in their first two matches so I don't know I honestly don't know what you do I think it's a difficult call. I think I can make a case for either way. Um, but what do you think, Paul? And, and what do you think that Greg Berhalter is going to do based off of what
2: he said tonight
1: cuz he was asked about this topic quite a bit.
2: Yeah, he he really actually didn't give a straight answer about it. He was kind of No, he coy. was all over the place. He was kind yeah. of coy with it and he was, you know, he was talking in ways that made it seem like he was saying one thing, but sort he of wasn't insert. really saying it. He was like Basically, I took that to be like they're going to rotate. It's just like, how are they going to rotate? And and there was an interesting quote where he talked about uh, playing at altitude. Basically, he said, "Oh, a lot of these guys play Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday anyway, and they're going to be fine." And I followed that up and said, "Well, they don't play Sunday, when Sunday at altitude, you know, seven thousand feet, and at the Azteca, and then Wednesday in Orlando, Florida, you know, and then back to San Jose, Costa Rica. It's like a little bit different, and." You know, he well, taught, some of the
1: MLS guys do that, to be fair.
2: <laughs> not really. I mean, maybe now. Currently, there's like three. Denver
1: Denver to Houston to D.C. Sunday, well, Wednesday, ain't,
2: Sunday. Ain't too many Houston players on this national team squad, to be fair. <laughs> um, but what he, what I said was I thought was interesting because when you dig into the squad, it just makes it intriguing. He said, if a guy is fully fit and playing every week and has 90 minutes under his belt for a considerable, considerable amount of weeks... He'll be fine. They'll be fatigued a little at altitude, but they'll be able to get through it. Interesting quote, right? Because it sets up Mexico in a, in a in an interesting way. Tim Weah not playing consistently ninety minutes at Lille right now. Tyler Adams not playing consistently ninety minutes at Leipzig. Um, Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic actually getting more ninety more close to ninety minute not, performances not than anyone consistent. else.
1: Not consistent
2: than anyone else that I'm about to mention. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, not playing at all right now.
1: Uh, I mean, he's not not playing at all. He got benched the last game, but.
2: And you go down the list and it starts to become a little bit complicated, but it also starts to paint a picture of guys who could potentially play. Kellen Acosta, maybe he starts at the six and you save Tyler Adams for Panama, knowing Tyler Adams is also on a yellow card. He mentioned, Greg Berhalter mentioned Brendan Aronson as an option to replace Weston McKinney. Maybe he starts at the eight because he's playing 90 minutes consistently for Salzburg. Paul Arriola played in Mexico, familiar with the you Azteca, know, played wonder, in 2017, playing 90 minutes at Dallas.
1: I wonder with the MLS guys, if they have enough 90 minutes under their belt.
2: To yeah. Get, I mean, to that's the other thing. It's, really it's a legitimate game. question, but it opens up to me that opened up the possibilities of what some people have called for in this Mexico game. Like, would you normally put Paul Areola out there if you were in a must-win game against Mexico? Probably not. But It's not if you're, a must-win game, though. Exactly. If you're just looking to say, can we get a point at the Azteca and make sure we're saving our legs for Panama in a must-win game, then yeah, Paul Ariola becomes a, an option to start. Jordan Morris just played tonight. In, for the Seattle
1: Sounders, yeah.
2: Yeah, for the Sounders in Mexico. Same with Roldan. Yeah. Roldan as well. So you have guys who you can put in there who are playing consistently, who are familiar with playing in these, in these conditions, who are not the guys you would count on in a must-win game, which isn't going to happen until Sunday. Sunday's the must-win game not Thursday in Mexico City. And so that answer to me was really intriguing, and especially in consideration of Tyler Adams, who I look at as like the one guy who you just say, I don't care how many minutes you've been playing, you're playing at the Azteca, yeah. but then you add in the, the yellow card possibility, mm. and it becomes, because you need him against Panama. You want your most important players on the field. You do against Panama. That's, that's the game that is the easiest path to a World Cup winning at home against Panama probably gets you to Qatar. We know from 2017 that 98% qualified isn't 100% qualified. We know that. <laughs> but the the best path is winning at home against Panama and and you know, expecting at least one other result to go your way more so than trying to get a win at the Azteca and then still having the likelihood of that must win against Panama.
1: I think what you do is you do some sort of hybrid lineup in Mexico it's not like a full rotation right you're not starting Dewan Jones and Paxton Pomacall in that game sorry Matt Doyle you're not going to didn't mean to take a cheap shot there but I think you use some sort of hybrid situation maybe you start Aaronson and Ariola, and you bring Wea and Pulisic off the bench at 55 or 60 mark right maybe you st- I think you start Adams in Mexico Because I think the game plan, if you're going to rotate and you're going to do kind of a half and half sort of deal, I think it has to be okay, you keep them scoreless for the first hour, and then you bring the big guys on and try and go for the knockout punch. Right. And and so I think if you're going to try and do that, you need Adams on for that first hour. I don't think, I think it would get a little too messy if you didn't start him. Um, I would have a lot of nerves about that. So maybe you start Musa, maybe you start Adams, maybe you start Acosta, and maybe you bring some of them off in planned subs
2: around six. Which minutes, which Berhalter also mentioned, we should say. He said yeah. we will use all five subs against Mexico. And then he said we may use some earlier and we may be purposeful with how we use those subs. Maybe
1: maybe maybe you start a winger, Paul Ariola, right? And you tell him, run like hell, you're coming off at halftime. Right? And and Pulesic's coming on. Like that wouldn't shock me.
2: Yeah, um, I mean we're in an interesting place here. I don't want to go fully into this, Sam, but we discussed it in the live room for the athletic. I think you have the consideration of do you start Pulisic partly for his confidence, partly for the team's confidence, and and that's a real debate now when we get into this strategy, this idea, because it makes more sense to wear Mexico down. And bring Christian in off the bench. He's but, been
1: better off the bench.
2: But the maybe bench. not, right? Maybe it's better to have Christian from the start and you're bringing yeah. Aronson <laughs> off the bench. I mean, there's so many different permutations. Sam, while you were talking, I sketched out my starting lineup and then I'll I'll ask you to do the I'm same true, while I'm will, talking this will, here.
1: This will change 17 times.
2: I have Anthony Robinson starting at left back because you don't really have – I'm not starting George Bellow at the Azteca Zimmerman and Robinson, I'm not as worried about center backs in general. i been starting DeAndre Yedlin at right back now for sure. He's played against Mexico many, many times and actually been very successful against Mexico in most of the games he's played. Tyler Adams, I agree, has to start even if he's a guy that you pull early and try to keep him off that yellow uh Yunus Musa and and Kellen Acosta. I just think you go with that midfield from the start against Mexico, try to keep it at 0-0 as long as possible, or you know, steal a goal early, of course, but like, you know, try to stay in the game. And then I think you start with Brennan with Paul Areola and you start with Christian Pulisic, and I think he's gonna start Jesus Ferreira up top. So I would start, but I would start Pepe, but I think he will start at, Ferreira, just based on the who have who are the guys who have been playing. And we he also made the comment, I don't think we've gotten to it yet, but he made a comment that Jordan Peefock is a really good fit in his mind for the Panama game. So I've stashed Jordan Peefock for the starting lineup in Orlando against Panama. That's why it's between Ferrera and Pepe, and I think he's going to go with Ferrera. So in that scenario, I'm bringing Brennan Aronson off the bench. I'm bringing Tim Whale off the bench. I'm bringing... Luka De La Torre off the bench. And after that, then you save those last two subs for whatever you need. Maybe it's Pepe. Maybe it's Pifak. If you need a goal late and you're just going to be hitting the long balls. But you have options there. You move Kellen to the six. You bring in De La Torre. You know, those are the moves I'm making. But that's the starting lineup I'm looking at for the game. So Christian is in my starting lineup. What do you got, Sam? I have the same back four as you. Although I wouldn't be shocked to see Reggie
1: Cannon instead of DeAndre Yedlin. Um, I think we'll see Yedlin. but anyway, uh, I have Zach Steffen starting in goal. You neglected that, Paul.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, sorry, I do
1: have Steffen as well. Uh, Berhalter did sort of say it's it's a coin flip or whatever between him and Horvath at this point. I'm not sure how much I believe that, but um, I also have the same midfield three with Adams, Acosta, and Musa, and that's sort of where the similarities end. Uh, I have Ariola, so I guess. Not quite where this, but I have Aronson and Pepe, um, for a couple of things. I, I think he's going to go to Pulisic and say, listen, it's not that I'm not starting you because I don't think you're the best player on the team. It's here's my rationale. I want to I want to keep you fresh for the game that I feel is more important, and I'm going to bring you in at halftime or shortly thereafter in this match, right? So like like just make yourself ready because you're going to go up against a tired defender and we're going to need you. Um, and then with Pepe, you know, Burholzer basically acknowledged today. He's like, yeah, I'm worried about him. Absolutely. No question. Like, so yeah, he is worried about him. And I don't think he has a ton of confidence right now. Ricardo Pepe, he's gone 18 games for Dallas and the U.S. and Augsburg without scoring a goal. Um, it's bad. It's bad. He made this huge transfer and he has not performed at all just yet in Germany, but I think you sort of have to keep in mind a little bit about the emotional aspect here for him. For sure. Right. And sure. what this moment is going to mean to him. He started yeah. against Mexico at home. Uh, he didn't get on the board or anything like that. He didn't do a ton in that game from what I remember, but I don't think he did poorly either. Um, the fact that Berhalter basically telegraphed that he's going to start PFOC in Orlando against Panama makes me think, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to use Pepe, like, do it now, you know. This game isn't really one where you're doing a ton of combining. We've talked about this a million times, but U.S. Mexico games—they're fast. There's not, often not a lot of soccer, right? And and things are just intense and flying around. And Sam, so that, what did he know, say
2: about Pepe when he gave that quote? When he gave he said that a quote, a lot of
1: things about Pepe.
2: He gave a Help quote about being worried about Pepe and in the back end of that quote he said but they ask him to do a lot of different things at Augsburg than we ask him to do he's 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 not he's asked to create chances by running behind the back line for Augsburg not so much from service we hopefully will get him service into the penalty box that would help him out a little bit when he plays which fits more to your point Sam with the Mexico game right i will also say ha- we have to be a little cautious with Greg Burhalter at press conferences with the mistakes the where they are. It yeah. it happened. They brought somebody out for a pregame press conference, like Walker Zimmerman or somebody, Zimmerman, and yeah. he didn't start in the game. They 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 we've switched into the full on like everything matters mind games mind games, and so by putting out there. You know, and I, I imagine the manager in Panama, he's he's done a really great job with them, is the type of, of manager to be looking for every little bit of information he can ahead of that game. Maybe you throw it out there and make it look like Peacock is starting against Panama and he's not. So let's just keep that in mind. I, ca- I, I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, he very clearly telegraphed it. But when you said it, I was like, man, that was like way too, too clearly telegraphed too yeah so yeah. i don't want to rule him out from starting this game either he is the most in form he is the guy scoring the most there will be a little bit more you know set piece dependency in this game but i agree with you sam i mean how do you like well, you Ricardo? You, di- you actually didn't i know i did it i said if it were me i'd start Pepe. oh okay i, I said if it were me i'd start Pepe well, because i think he's going to start because Pepe. the emotion matters in these games man it does it matters i mean sam like I'm not playing in Costa Rica, but it's going to mean something special to me to be in the stadium in Costa Rica where my family's from, you know, it's gonna mean something to me when I hear that national anthem. It's gonna feel different than any other event I've ever covered in my life, probably. You know, and that game for Pepe different, different than all those than that Chicago Fire Orlando City game you went to a couple weeks ago. Only only marginally, though, for that one. <laughs> only marginally. But you know what I mean? Like it's going to it's gonna stir something in Ricardo Pepe differently than it will for Jesus Ferreira. And that's not a knock on Ferreira. He just I mean, can't this is this is share a guy
1: less than a year ago was deciding between these two national teams. Yeah. Right, he grew up on the border outside of El Paso. His, he grew up rooting for Mexico in a in a household who's with parents who immigrated from Mexico, right? Like he is Mexican and he is American as well, right? And so that's going to be a major major thing for him. I would imagine he, probably even more so than it was a major major thing for him in Cincinnati when he played in the game there. Yeah, um, just because of the history. See, as Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think I think he goes to Ricardo and says, hey, man, I know it's been a rough go for you, but like this is your moment. Go take it. Right. Like do it for yourself, do it for your your family, do it for this team.
2: And and Sam, you wrote this in our piece today. You know, Greg Berhalter in the last window talked about the skill sets because there's no striker that stands out right now.
1: Well, that does, by the way. But
2: yes, I agree with you. But that in the last window, because there was no striker that stood out, they they played very much to the tactics of the game. They picked players based on how they felt they would fit tactically. In this one, P. Fox stands out. He's the only one scoring. But if we put that aside for a second, if we were if we if we he, take Greg Berhalter at what he says, and we th- and we think P. is going to start in Orlando, then if we're going to base it on a tactical decision between Jesus and Pepe, you're right. What you said earlier is right. Pepe is a better fit for the Mexico game and Jesus is better fit for Panama when you're going to play a team or for, for Costa Rica where you're going to have a little bit more of the ball, not a ton more. You're on the road there too, but presumably fast more than you will against Mexico, which has this kind of up and down tendency because of the emotion and the rivalry that, you know, it might make more sense or I think it does make more sense for Ferreira there. Um, I thought Ferreira made the most sense for the Panama game, but you know, if we're gonna take our interpretation of Berhalter as truth, then it'll be Peacock. I'm, I'm still, I'm now, only now when you said the quote out loud, was I like, this is a little too obvious. Really? Only then? Only then?
1: Wow, you got to work on your radar, your antennae.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just like, <laughs> I, I, I just like, you know, when you think through, when I started thinking through like the Walker Zimmerman thing, and I think it was something else that Greg Berhalter did on his podcast he went back to those comments after the Canada Canada game where people crushed him for saying like it was a good performance and he kind of alluded to the fact that like hey we had another game to play like i'm not going to go out there and be sad and and be like negative in the media when we had another game that we had to go win um and so it just kind of reminds you that 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 the press conferences are part of coaching too basically
1: yeah yeah for sure um all right well i think that's i think that's enough about about Rotation. I feel like we covered a lot of the topics that we have laid out here in our little rundown in that (laughs) one topic. So that's good. I think we both think Kellen Acosta is going to replace Weston McKinney, obviously in the Mexico game. I think we're both in agreement that Luca De La Torre will slot in in, as a number eight against Panama. Um, You know, we think he's better suited than Kellen Acosta is in that game. We saw Kellen Acosta as a number eight against Panama once already. Didn't go all that great. Um, So, you know, I don't know if we'll see that experiment again. Luca De La Torre was very good last time out against Honduras. I think a lot of those qualities would serve him well in a home game against Panama as well. So I think we'll see him in that position. And then who knows with Costa Rica? Depends what you need. Depends who's played well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, said there's no really replacing Weston McKinney in terms of what he does and what he brings to the team. I agree with that, uh, but I don't think it's some hurdle that's too high to overcome. Yeah, as he said, we
2: won games without him, and we'll do it yeah. again.
1: I think – I can't. how many games did he play in the last window? I can't even remember off the top of my head.
2: He played all of them, right? I think he played two. No, he played all of them. Well, it was the one before that that he missed one. He, yeah, but prior to, to the like last half, window. Right? Prior to the last
1: window, he had only played in four of the eight games. So it, it won't be their first time around without Weston McKinney in the team. Um, number nine we've talked about quite a bit as well. Um, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time there, although I think we should talk a little bit more about Jordan Pifak because we haven't mentioned him much other than to say Berhalter said he's going to start against Panama, essentially. He's leading the Swiss Super League in goals. He's got 17 and 25 games in league play, I think 22 and 37 in all comps. What was it, Paul? 13 in his last 17 across all competitions? Keeping in mind um, he had
2: four goals in one game.
1: Right, but he, I think he's got six in his last seven, yep. which does not include that four goal performance in one game so he's he's been bagging them left and right uh he's doing a really nice job uh and no one else in the pool is scoring at remotely that clip the u.s has only gotten three goals from the number nine position in the octagonal all of those were from ricardo pepe they were in back-to-back games at honduras and then at home against jamaica in the following window where he got two so i'm excited to see what pfot can bring um once again for the national team you know i think it's fair to say that he doesn't have like the greatest feet in the world i don't think he's quite as good of a athlete maybe as giossi's artist is um i don't know athletically i don't know peppy plus maybe is that fair to say
2: yeah it's weird i feel hesitant because last time i felt this way about a player was Anthony Robinson who I was like, I see what he could be, but I don't see what he is and I don't want to see him anymore. And you know, Greg Berhalter basically didn't listen to me and kept bringing him in. And eventually he started to find his form in the championship. You were advising
1: Greg on, on Anthony. Well,
2: I just assume that Greg Berhalter listens to allocation disorder and reads all of our stories. So, right. Yeah, Yeah. The many, many people who listen to this show. Yeah. I assume that all of those listens are just Greg Berhalter leaving it on loop. Um, no, I mean, I, I, and what I'm trying to say is I complained about Anthony Robinson across many different venues, <laughs> and I had to go into the comment section of a story after the first window and be like, you guys were right, and I was wrong. Um, to all the people who told me in the comment section before that I was wrong about Anthony Robinson. And so when I look at the games I've seen Jordan Peefock play for the national team, and it's not many, I think he's got eight caps for the US um, and and one goal he hasn't really stood out to me very much at all. He scored the goal on the header against Honduras. He's, and and don't forget he played, he played in two games out of three in the September window. He came on as a substitute um, in the El Salvador game. Didn't really make an impact. Uh, Started against Canada in Nashville. Did not make an impact. And, you know, I was kind of out on him at that point. I'm, I don't watch the Swiss league. I cannot pretend to know how well he's actually playing soccer, but I do know that the thing that matters most in soccer, the thing that gets you paid (laughs) is putting the ball in the back of the net. I don't care if you, you know, are a terrible soccer player. If you're scoring six goals in seven games, you're doing something right. So, I don't want to eat my words here. I I think that Jordan P. Fox should get every opportunity to be the starting number nine if that's the way he's playing right yeah,
1: now. He absolutely should.
2: I don't care that not, I don't I'm not sold based on what he did in September. The dude is scoring goals. Put him in the game. And that's why I feel like I'm September surprised. Was a long time ago, Paul. Th- yeah, that you're not saying go. like, hey. In my mind I'm like kind of like all right like the, put the guy in who's scoring goals start the guy yeah, right Mexico. now yeah yeah
1: and and maybe he will and maybe today was a misdirection But to right? your point
2: and, though Sam also what's the one game that like really matters It's the Panama game so that's in that's in the consideration too. I mean, I I'm not again like it great to get bring a point him on at the it. You can
1: bring him on for the last half hour too.
2: You're right. He's a right. great. He's also like he, like the the things he excels at. He is you you do we do know this much. He's physical. He's good in the air. He's good on set pieces. He. Um, he, he brings physicality. He's not afraid to, to kind of get battered around by center backs. That's great for late in games if you're going a little bit more vertical. If it's 0-0 or you're losing one nothing, Like, yeah, he's a very clear guy who can come in late against Mexico and give you that target, too. So maybe that's the plan. But I just, in my mind, I'm like, man, there's one guy in this pool that's scoring goals. So Yeah,
1: and credit to him for working his way back after three windows not being called in.
2: Yeah, And, and some of
1: those in which he was scoring goals for yeah. his club team, too. So credit to him. Um, Maybe John Brooks can follow that path. Maybe he can call Jordan Pifak for some advice as to how to get back in the good graces. Maybe Um,
2: if John Brooks was scoring six goals in seven games, he would be be here. (laughs) Yeah, be the best center back in the world.
1: Um, (laughs) Oh, man. Any other thoughts on this roster or or this window before we transition into segment three and, and kind of talk about a couple of other things and wrap up the show?
2: Yeah, I, just one last thing. We we I'll touch on it really quickly, which is just Gio Reyna is back in this thing. I think we could see him play at the number eight. I don't think we'll see him start. I don't think we'll see him play more than 30 minutes in a game. Um, I think he's a really good option to bring off the bench. He mm-hmm. is not afraid to take guys on one-on-one. He can create opportunities on his own. Very good set-piece service. So you if you bring Kellen Acosta off the field, you still have somebody who can serve a good ball in fact he just picked up an assist for Dortmund on a set piece uh he does it very well so um he's somebody I'd expect to see I think he will be more likely to play centrally than winger though Greg Berhalter did answer a question saying like yeah maybe yes we do think he can play in that position but I don't know if it'll happen this window or not so maybe he'll come I just don't know like in the Mexico game there's a lot of wingers a lot of wingers. Yeah, and and like those those games don't feel like a winger coming inside and combining type of game. But I, 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 maybe you just say it doesn't matter. Gio ran has got enough talent that you put him on the field and he, hope played, he does his thing. Yeah, he,
1: he played in the Nations League final. He did okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, and he played and he so. and yeah he 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 was a guy who. What I like about Gio is that confidence that sometimes you can find annoying with like his reaction to teammates is the same. What are you talking about is the same confidence that prompts him to do something special every once in a while.
1: Yeah, he's a body language all-star. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, very, very expressionful. Ex- expressive. Expressive. Yeah. There we go. It's late. You know, um, this reminds me, when I was in high school, my dad would have to like pull me aside after every game, and he'd be like, <laughs> Sam, you need to control your emotions on the field. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I like getting a little mad, because then it fires me up. He's like, no, the faces you make when someone on your team does something bad, Um, it was a real problem for me. So I can relate to Gio Reyna in this way. I I, don't know if his dad's pulled him aside and talked to him about it yet. but
2: I just want to say I am 0% surprised that you're also on the Body Language (laughs) All-Stars. And maybe that's partly because when I say something that you truly disagree with on Allocation Disorder, you give me a look of just complete In utter disgust. I don't even know that I
1: do this. (laughs) It's it's not my fault. You
2: never came off of the body language all-stars list, basically.
1: I mean, I think I've controlled it a little bit more, but I've had some notable instances on Zoom press conferences that when I forget that I'm on video. Yes, I've had to text you. We don't need to talk about that ever again. Um, (laughs) Anyway, me and Gio Reyna, we're the same? I don't know. We're not the same. We're not. Sam Staskel, Paul Tenorio, talked a lot about the USMNT. Let's take a quick breather. MLS, CCL, the quarterfinals, Paul, are over. The Seattle Sounders advance, comfortably smashing past León to get through, which was a nice little reprieve after what happened on Wednesday to the New England Revolution. Took a 3-0 lead down to Pumas, Mexico City, and lost. 3-0 in regulation, Pumas advance. Um, Penalties, Montreal fell to Cruz Azul as well, sort of as expected. Um, And NYCFC survived by the skin of their teeth against Comunicaciones. That was a crazy, crazy game on Tuesday night. So you have two MLS teams in to the semifinals, both on the same side of the bracket. NYCFC and Seattle will play in one semi. The winner will advance to the CCL final to play the winner of Cruz Azul and Pumas. Paul, your thoughts on this round? on MLS's hopes in the competition. You know, we talked a little bit about it, I think, on this show last week. But the Revs, they pooped their pants. It was bad.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think two takeaways, really. The first is that my nuts-on-the-table prediction is still alive and yours is dead. I don't even remember yours. Mine is that Miguel Angel Ramirez will not last 11 games as coach of Charlotte FC. He's well, so got- I think you're very...
1: I mean, unless he quits, I think you're very wrong.
2: He's got eight games left. They're 0-3. If it keeps going this way... I mean, if they're 0-8, he could get fired. It's very reasonable. The, that's, the that's reason they're 0-3... They're 0-3
1: with a minus 5 goal difference. They would be 0-3 with like a minus
2: 12 goal difference, if not for him. He's a good coach. I, I don't disagree with you, but like, he's not going to go quietly into the night if they're 0-8. You know what I mean? Like... And I appreciate that about him. I do. Um, okay. Either way, it doesn't matter if it happens or not. I've lasted longer than you. That's really what matters. I'm patting I myself mean, on the back.
1: Well, of course, you were going to last longer. The no. CCL is happening if right New at the England. Of the if New England hadn't blown calendar. it,
2: if New England hadn't blown it, you would still be alive right now.
1: The CCL final is before eleven games of the MLS season. I'm guessing.
2: Hmm, um, it'd be close. Well, be anyway. close. I don't think the CCL
1: the CCL semifinals definitely before. Yes,
2: the, the semifinals, season. but not the final.
1: And, and that once the semifinals are done, then my nuts on the table prediction is decided.
2: Yeah, hey, well, you could have been right before I was wrong, and then said it's you were wrong. It's just a function of the calendar. You're wrong. bragging about it like a weirdo. Well, you didn't even get to the semifinal. You didn't even yeah, get give there, it a rest. So it doesn't matter. No one wants matter. to hear this nonsense. Well, you don't, but I do. Um, the other takeaway is this: MLS is going to be very, very happy when Leagues Cup comes around. Because in the Leagues Cup, there is no return leg. There is no MLS team having to go out of their comfort zone on the road to Mexico to play the teams on their turf. And so the, the results are going to be better for 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 the MLS teams. And we will see the quote-unquote progress that the league wants to see in this tournament because they won't have to go play in Mexico City, or in Monterrey, or in wherever Torreon—it doesn't matter. And I think that that is the reality. Is right now we know MLS teams are capable of competing in one-off games. They are just like any playoff. The the New England won three nothing, and then they lost three nothing. Seattle's done well. Montreal had a win and a loss, you know, like we're in this point now where MLS is in this toss up phase to a certain extent with the Mexican teams. But when you get into kind of the longer tests, the real bigger tests, they're still falling a little bit short. And that's just, there's nothing new about this. It's not that surprising. We're we There's still two teams in the semis. It's the weakest Mexican field yet in this Champions League. And yet they teams in the semis too. And I think that's just kind of where we are now.
1: Yeah. I think MLS has made progress relative to Mexican teams for the most
2: part. Yeah. The progress Um, is they get 50% in now instead of 25% or none.
1: Well, they've gotten two teams in the semifinals before this isn't unheard of, but I think MLS has made progress. I think Seattle and New York are the two, two of the deepest teams, maybe the two deepest teams in the entire league. Um, and New York hasn't had to play a Liga MX team, and they won't have to unless they make the final. <laughs> um, so that's part of this as well. Uh, but you see that. You know, Seattle did this, Paul, without Nico Ladero or Raul Ríos, their two best players, along with João Paulo, right? They played tonight without Yamar, their best center back, right? Like, they're not doing this full strength, and they're still going down to Mexico and, and getting past Leon after beating them 3-0 in the first leg. You know? So, these teams have more depth. The academies are maturing. That really helps. Um, and they're getting, you know, there are more mechanisms to fill out their roster. We don't love those mechanisms all the time. And we think they could be better and more efficient. But they do make MLS teams deeper than they were three, four years ago. Um, so, I think we're starting to see that sort of come through and manifest. And I think MLS teams will do okay in the League's Cup, you know? And I think they'll continue to do okay in the Champions League. I think this year is a really good year because none of the big Mexican teams are in it.
2: Yeah, and I that, mean, I think MLS is going to do great in the League's Cup too. And, and
1: and I think I think that I I mean against Leon against Cruz Azul or Pumas, I look at Seattle or NYCFC, and and Pumas was taken to the absolute brink by New England. I think Seattle and NYCFC are both better than New England. Uh, Cruz Azul did not have a comfortable time against Montreal at all. Montreal could have won that series um, had they been more efficient with their chances in the home leg. Seattle and NYCFs are way better than
2: Montreal, right? So I don't know. I, I think an ML, I think one of those teams should win. I would say that you, you're you right in that the arguably the top two favorites are on one side of the bracket right now, right? Yeah. Like, but again weird I, things
1: happen in this tournament.
2: Yeah, weird things happen, but also like it I just again I still think it speaks to I am not disagreeing that progress has been made. My point is that the progress is where it is now where it's just kind of a when you get into these playoff situations, you can have a team or two that competes. We saw it in the past with Toronto. Yeah. LA, uh, LAFC in the neutral site tournament made it we, to the I don't final. Think we really did see it in the past, man. We did. Toronto got to a final. They yeah, lost to penalty Toronto kicks. Toronto got to a final w- one time. You just said we've seen it in the past. And now you're saying we haven't seen it in the past. uh,
1: So that was a one-off. I don't feel like it's going to be one-offs anymore.
2: I don't know, man. I I mean, I, I think this is kind of where we are. That you can have one or two teams in a year that make a little run. But when it comes down to like, are these teams as good or better than the Mexican teams? If you were to put it all in one league... No, I don't think that's true. And no, they're they're not. And, they're and not
1: a, Seattle and NYCFC are the top teams in MLS and the top teams in Mexico are probably better than
2: them. Right. And my my thing is just that all I'm trying to say is that League's Cup is set up better than Champions League. Yeah. For MLS so. to do well. You have more teams in the competition and all of the games are at home. And you won't so if New England wins the first game three nothing, it's over. There is no return leg. And they move on. And that's a that'll be good for MLS to to have a better showing in this tournament. But in that tournament. Give them, I'm just just give them their flowers, Paul. You hater. You're being a hater. What flowers do they want? Win it. Then I'll give the flowers. <laughs> if you go and lose to Pumas <laughs> in the final, you don't get Fair any flowers.
1: Enough. Fair and enough. And you
2: know what? You know, I, I don't have to give flowers because of the number of games I've watched where it's been a just absolute mess. And in fact, Sam, I told you this. I, I was coming home, walking That's home, seeing game, some there friends. There
1: haven't been those games. It was
2: 0-0. And I'm like, you know what? Should I turn on this New England Pumas game? let me wait and see when this walk is over and I get home what the score is then, and I got home and I brushed my teeth and I looked you didn't at my even phone watched the game you and were it trying was to talk and me it about was it. three nothing and I said Haha, maybe now I should turn it on and then I said, no man, this I don't watch it anymore because get out of my face I just You're not qualified. I, I have watched some Champions League I did not watch the New England game and i'm glad I didn't because it's kind of like being a fan of like a team that of northwestern basketball don't why are you tune in Sam you you can't talk, you like to torture yourself. you watched like seventy percent of Northwestern basketball oh, games this what, season. What is your job? I was not assigned to cover that game <laughs> all right, like I hear you i don't
1: need to watch Northwestern basketball I know, but also that's not my job <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> And thus, you shouldn't. Well, yeah, but but anyway, I digress. <laughs> Moving on. Um, hearing some more things about the TV deal, um, and we'll see where it all shakes out. Things are still pretty fluid. But it sounds like ESPN and Univision are the main linear TV partners on the table for MLS at this stage. I don't think that's a huge surprise to folks, or it shouldn't be. But NBC, not really all that interested. CBS, same deal from what I've been told. Fox, sort of same deal, although they could get in maybe in a scaled-down version of what they're doing currently. We'll see. A lot of questions there. Um, Turner, I've been told, was talking with MLS, but they have a huge merger coming with Discovery um, next month. And so things have sort of been put on hold a little bit from their end of things, from what I understand. Um, So we'll see if they're able to get in the mix. All of this should be coming to a head pretty soon, Commissioner Don Garber said before the season started, that uh, MLS wanted to have this all ironed out by the end of March, which we are less than two weeks away from. So we'll see if they get an announcement done. I would think that they'll wait until you know maybe that first full week of April to get through all of these World Cup shenanigans. (laughs) Um, But we'll see on that front. Maybe we'll be doing some reporting on the TV deal from Costa Rica, Paul. Who knows? Who
2: knows where life will take us? Great. Yeah, I mean, I already did a really poor job of booking my trip to Costa Rica because I thought the World Cup draw was Sunday and it's Friday. And I'm staying in Costa Rica a few extra days to uh, to see my family. So everything's thrown off at this point. You know, I took a red eye home Friday night so I could be home in time to be see my family before the World Cup draw. That's irrelevant now, you know. Well, so You can always change your flight. I could change my flight, although I think... No, now I cannot change my flight. I can't tell my wife now that I'm coming home a day later. It's too late. the The early expectation has been set, but I think Just it'll tell be the welcome draws be on Friday night. And super, and you have to stay. super, super interesting to see <laughs> the TV deal. And Sam, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail because you you have a story that's going to be coming out probably a few hours after this podcast is first published. Um, but you know. There's some interesting math to be done on on how much money is enough money for this to be progress. When you look at 20 teams that existed in the league in 2015, you have 29 that are going to be in the league next year. Um, take
1: out the U.S. Soccer cut. You so take that, out the U.S. Soccer positive, cut, so that right. factors
2: into the math. Yeah. You know, that's there's some interesting math, and 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 so you have to start to think what is the number MLS is looking for, and what is the number they'll be happy with, and and that'll that'll be kind of what defines how we talk about this deal. I do also think the other factor is, you know, they, they really strategize to try to have a, a, a huge quantity of games and that included all the local broadcast rights. And I just wonder how that shakes out for the league, which will be in your article as well. So a lot of really interesting stuff that you've been reporting. I'm trying to do my best to tease it here. I read the draft before we recorded this episode. I just think it has a lot of interesting angles to it. So, um, you know, one of, those, one of those things that we've been talking about now for a couple of years, um, that is finally, we're kind of at the finish line here, and, and it'll be interesting to see how the league reacts one way or the other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then one last thing before we go, shout out to our friends and colleagues, Felipe Cardenas Cardenas, and Pablo Maurer. Um, they did an incredible story. They went down to Crete's row in the aftermath of the terrible, terrible scene, the violence that we saw the game between Creads Row and Outlaws a couple of weeks ago. Um, They had a story come out on their trip and what they found um, pretty remarkable um, reporting and writing. Um, They got a lot of good information from a lot of people that that were there um, on the scene and a lot of people that have a real kind of, I don't know, investment in the city there and what's happening and a real pulse on it. Um, And so it was just a really good story. Uh, You should go read it. Take some time out of your day to do so. I strongly encourage it. And I know, Paul, that you, you would probably echo all of that.
2: Yeah, it was really, really, really powerful read, I thought. Um, really great work for both of those guys going down to Mexico and um, and finding the story, you know. And and I, I do want to add one last thing, Sam, because this will be our last uh, podcast for a while in the United States for the next couple of weeks. We'll record one. Oh, I guess we'll record we'll it be in Orlando. Orlando. We'll be in Orlando. But we're going to be in Me- more importantly we're going to be in Mexico City next time we record this it'll be Thursday night after the, both of our first games at the Azteca super excited about it and I wanted to tell everyone who listens to Allocation Disorder keep an eye out cuz Sam and I are going to be trying to make more content from Mexico City on our Twitter accounts on our Instagram Sam, maybe not on your Instagram. I'm trying to use Insta more, even though because my Felipe, Instagram's strictly private. Mostly because I, yeah, mostly because Felipe makes fun of me for not being good at Instagram. And Felipe's got a lot of like dad content, and, and yet his is much stronger than mine in general. Um, but we're going to try to, I think, showcase a little <laughs> Felipe bit. Felipe is of, much cooler than both of us. I know it's, it's, it's infuriating. But, um, Especially you. I think we're going to try to do some cool stuff down in Mexico City. Get a little bit of the the flavor of being there. Um, be, well, I will say Felipe and
1: I already have some plans that we're not going to tell you about. Great. You're
2: going to be involved with them. But it's important
1: that we take you by surprise.
2: I, I like it. You know, I, I, I trust neither of you. And yet I trust both of you.
1: All right. I think that's a good way to end the
2: show. Thanks for listening to Allocation
1: Disorder. We'll be back next week from Mexico City. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. We appreciate you. Until next time, I'm Sam. He's Paul.